Rusty Quill presents. Hello, this is IMS, the author of the program audio series. Today, I want to make a shout out to Manish, the traveling entrepreneur. Having listened to the program, Manish reached out to me and offered me a job at Pavlock, his company. He also sponsored this episode, which means Manish is the third person who did the most for me in my life, after my mother and my hairdresser. So let me tell you about one of Manisha's best-selling products, the Shock Clock. It is a fitness tracker that doubles as the world's best alarm clock. In addition to standard beeping and vibrating, Shock Clock can be set up so it only turns off by scanning a QR code in another room or by you doing jumping jacks. And if nothing else does the trick, it will release an electric discharge, literally shocking you awake. So head to shockclock.com and never oversleep again. If you are the show's paid supporter, email me and you'll get a code for a massive 50% discount. A big thanks to Manish for such a generous offer, and a big thanks to everybody who listens to the show. And of course, thank you to my hairdresser. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It is only in the end that we search out the beginnings. Go long enough in one direction and you'll end up where you started. Go deep enough in the back end and you'll end up in the front end. A quote from the Decoders Manual, 2nd Edition. Many years from now, there lived an old lady. She lived alone, her husband taken by cancer long ago. Absence can be felt in two ways. One in which a person misses something they lost, and the other in which they miss something they never had. The old lady missed her husband the first way, and she missed her child the second way. There's nothing she regretted more than never becoming a mother. True, there was the option of gestating the fetus inside an artificial womb, but access to the incubators was given to the young, and rarely was a child conferred to someone over 40, let alone someone who was almost twice that age. Which is why the old lady lived alone. Alone in her world of gray. When the lamentations would become too intense for her to bear, she would pray. And she would direct her prayers to the spirits, asking for a child. She would invoke the spirit of family to grant her wish. She would implore the spirit of love to put in a good word on her behalf. She would even call on the mighty spirit of justice to address her unfair circumstances. The spirits would listen to her, but being listened to is not the same as being heard. To the spirits' credit, they were in high demand, and the requests they were getting were often difficult. After all, we only turn to spirits when we ask for something impossible. For everything else, people suffice. The old lady knew this well and kept her hopes in check. Then one day, she found a message waiting for her. Her application had been approved. She would be granted access to an artificial womb. She would get a child. And the world gained a color she never knew existed before. Mira was born on the day of the winter solstice. The old lady considered it a good omen. She named him Mira as a contraction of miracle, and the boy truly was a bag of wonder. From the earliest age, Mira was fascinated with the spirits. Iris, who was Michelangelo? He would spend hours interacting with the spirit of children known as Iris, Manifested in the form of a raccoon plushie, Iris would patiently answer Mira's questions about famous men and women and spirits from history. 
Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonoretti Simone was a painter, a sculptor, and poet of the High Renaissance. Inspired by Arthur, the spirit of arts and culture, he created some of the most famous works in history, including the painted ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and the now lost statue of David. How can you lose a statue? Lost in this context means destroyed. David was smashed during World War II. In response, Arthur ceased to provide inspiration for 20 years afterwards, and no notable works of art were created during this period. So you're saying if we saw these works today, we'd think they're bad? No, I'm saying that none of them were saved to begin with. The beauty of spirits is that they are everywhere. They can interact with every one of us at the same time. Or rather, they could if they had any interest in us. What people long suspected is that the work of the spirits is automated and that they manifest in person only in the most exceptional of circumstances. The rest of us have to contend with spirits like Iris. The common joke goes that if Iris were a duck, it would fly north for the winter. But then again, Iris is the only spirit that will talk to absolutely anyone who wishes to converse with it. So it's possible that it simply adapted its discourse to its audience. Mira tried very hard to understand the spirits. The spirits created the world. They watched over us from the moment of our birth to the moment of our death. This much was known. But exactly how the spirits functioned was a matter of much speculation. And, as always, where there is a lack of clarity, rumors and myths sprung up to fill the gaps. Iris, I spoke with our neighbor today about Romcom, the spirit of love. What did she tell you, Mira? She told me how Romcom can resurrect people based on the power of love alone. I'm afraid that ability is out of scope, Mira. You never answer my questions, Iris. One day, I'll find a spirit smarter than you, and it'll tell me everything. The differing narratives confused Mira, and he would ask follow-up questions. His old mother would tell him not to worry his pretty head so much, and instead enjoy the colors of the world that surrounds him. To be fair, Mira didn't really understand this outlook either, but he knew that he loved his mother very much, and that he was happy. Mira grew. He no longer played with his toys, at least not in the strict sense. Instead, he'd get most enjoyment by taking them apart and figuring out how they work. His old mother didn't mind and would continue to buy him toys to act as his test subjects. Even though her advanced age meant she'd no longer leave the house often, preferring things to be delivered. It was also around this period that Mira learned about the Council of Transcendental Science. It was the first time he had heard there were people who made studying the spirits their vocation. How some transcendentalists try to deduce the spirits' reasoning from their actions, designing experiments utilizing root cause analysis. How others examine spirits' user-facing artifacts like the many manifestations of Iris, seeking a glimpse of the underlying logic. And how some even endeavor to observe the spirits directly, holding the opinion they are electromagnetic entities caused either by subatomic resonance or as of some yet undiscovered form of neurochemical signaling. 
The Transcendentalists' methods might differ, but they all participate in the same intellectual pursuit to distinguish the truth from falsehoods. Life is but a giant flowchart with various events guiding us from one box to the next. Some of them are connected with arrowheads, simply leading down a set path. Others are complex decision trees that stray far away from the original branch. For Mira, learning about the Council of Transcendental Science was an event of the latter type. He enrolled in the Council's youth branch that same year. It was here that he'd found his friends, his teachers, and himself. All right, everybody, settle down now. We got a lot covered today. Now, as you might remember, last time we discussed... <laughs> settle down, please. Actually, why don't you tell me what we discussed last time? Randy, you can start. Um... We discussed various applications of transcendental science. Well, seeing that this is the Applied Transcendental Science class, I was hoping to get something a bit more specific. Mira, why don't you help your friend Randy here? Uh, you were telling us about historical records of different manifestations of the spirits? How to Newton a spirit came in the form of a fruit? And how to Einstein, it manifested as a woman that helped him solve his equations. Very good, Mira. I'm glad at least someone in the class pays attention to what I'm saying. Which is, incidentally, the message I'm trying to impart. The spirits are here to teach us. But we need to learn how to recognize them. You could say we need to help them help us. But, teacher, there's one thing that's been bothering me, if I may. Of course, Mira. Well, judging by the stories, it would seem the spirits manifest in a rather straightforward way. They appear, they inspire or motivate or clarify, and they move along. Doesn't seem like there's much to recognize. Well, I'm glad you asked the question, Mira, for the popular conception of the presentation of spirits is in fact a popular misconception. Recognizing what the spirits want to tell us is anything but trivial. Even the giants of science have been known to err. They have? Take Isaac Newton, for example. Not a lot of people know that Newton devoted his studies to two areas. One was physics, which we admire him for today. But he invested an equal amount of time, zeal, and energy into a wholly unrelated subject. Which one? Alchemy. Well, that certainly wasn't the most productive use of his time. Well, it's easy to say that now. Because biographies tend to edit out famous scientists' mistakes, we get the impression that Newton's impeccable perception of the Spirit's guidance led straight to inevitable truths. In fact, Newton made two bets on two areas that in his time seemed equally promising. Remember, alchemy back then was still in the category we would today describe as huge, if true. <clears throat> Teacher? Yes, Randy. How do we recognize a spirit? I mean, if we are lucky enough to encounter one. Now, that's a great question, Randy. For the spirits are subtle and often hide in plain sight. A lot of times, it's best to simply let them come to us. So, basically, 
don't light a match to search for fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, basically that. But, but... What is it, Mira? I was thinking. Just like we learn from the spirits, maybe there's a, 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 a positive feedback loop. And maybe the spirits learn from us as well. <laughs> My dear Mira, the spirits are utterly unconstrained, timeless, and limitless. What do we have that we could possibly offer them? We are lucky to receive their grace. There's nothing we can, or ever could, give in return. Going through their tumultuous teenage years, Mira and Randy would often retreat to the caretaker's shed after class, where they'd discuss society and its many faults, something adults would inevitably subscribe to the idealism of the youth, as if cynicism of the old was something to aspire to. Careful, man, you're dropping it all over the ground! Hold it still! Come on! Catch it! This is also where they'd hide their stash of soft drugs. Randy, have you ever had a feeling that something about the world is off? All the time, man. I have to tell you, my mind's been brimming with questions lately. I mean, I mean, how can mankind apply itself to anything before we know the answers? What answers? Where do spirits come from? Well, what's their purpose? You know, big questions. Don't know. The biggest question I have is how big Marie Louise tits are. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm being serious, man. Oh, please. Be anything except a serious man. But don't you ask yourself the same? Are spirits mortal like we are? Are they all powerful? If they are, then why does bad stuff happen in the world? If they aren't, then what's the limit of their power? Mira, 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 I... I understand where you're coming from, but the way I see it, if something is unknowable, it makes the most sense not to think about it at all. Whereas for the spirits, they definitely do not have this problem. People, they're not hard to figure out. You make it sound like spirits are our buddies. Hey, they gave us weed, which automatically makes them cool in my book. (laughs) Speaking of which, should we... Do another? I haven't even finished the first one. Oh, that's because you're a serious man. No. No, that's because I gotta go home to Mom. She needs my help. You know, here we are, talking about the spirits and their mysterious ways. But the way spirits gave you to her, they must have had a plan. Yeah. Give her husband cancer when she's barely 30... And then give her a baby when she's almost 80. Great plan. Wait, how old is your mother now? Almost 93. Still, would you rather they haven't done that? I guess you have a point. Anyways, I'm off. See you tomorrow. Aliens, man. The spirits are aliens. Bye, Randy. (laughs) Later. As Mira was walking home, he was thinking about Randy's words. In a way, his friend was right. Why assume we can get the spirits if we don't really get ourselves? Perhaps instead of trying to change the world, we should focus on changing ourselves. After all, it's the only domain we have any real control over. 
Mira approached his neighborhood like he had a myriad times before. But this time, something was different. His first door neighbor, the one who had watched over him so many times as a child, was waiting for him at the top of the street. Behind her was an ambulance. And behind the ambulance, a hearse. Mira had imagined this moment many times, almost like he was practicing for it. But in moments like this, theory doesn't hold. And nor do tears. He held on to his good neighbor like he was drowning, gasping for air between short sobs. The white van and the black car imprinted in his eyes, and a color was taken from his world, never to be seen again. Mira grew, and his reputation grew with him. He was now a young man. His interest in spirits had long waned, or rather it was a clean break. His new relationship was with optics, and as is often the case with second loves, it was a marriage of convenience rather than infatuation. Which doesn't mean he didn't excel in the new subject. Bringing the transcendental mindset into optical matters granted him the ability to obtain numerous novel insights as is common when transfer between disciplines occurs. Soon, Mira found himself being bestowed with many honors. The youngest recipient of the Dean's Award, the youngest visiting scholar of merit, the youngest person to complete a PhD in optometry in the history of his university. The flowchart of his life was unerringly leading him in the direction of distinction. Even though, at most awards ceremonies, Mira wouldn't feel happy that he was there, he would feel sad that his mother wasn't. What made his success even more remarkable is that Mira did all calculations involved in his research by hand, unlike almost everybody else in the scientific community who depended on Iris to solve the hard math behind their work. But Mira was adamant he wanted nothing to do with the spirits, unlike his friend Randy who was building a successful career in the Council of Transcendental Science. Every Monday, the two of them would welcome the night in Mira's lab, debating various topics of interest over a couple of games of chess and a couple of glasses of wine. Queen to G5. Knight to F5. C6. G4. Knight to... F6. Rook to G1. You know, Mira, you should really visit us more often at the council. You know, the Chancellor is a big fan of yours. And I should not even mention the Madam Chairwoman. <laughs> Come on, don't you think I'm a bit too young for her, Randy? Age is just a number. I mean, yes, that's, that, that's kind of the whole point of it. <laughs> uh, and... C captures B5. Oh, one bishop gone, Randy. H4. Hmm. Better get the queen back to safety. Back to G6. H5. Mm-hmm. Retreat, queen to G5. Queen to F3. You know, this board, the coordinates, actually remind me of an interesting discussion at the council. There's been some excitement around a new system of numerical notation. Care to hear it? Are you trying to divert my attention from that night of yours there? 
<laughs> I'm trying to tell you something I think you'll find genuinely interesting. Go ahead. You can lose later, I guess. <laughs> All right. So, in the decimal system, we use 10 as our base. We start at 0, followed by 1, and 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And then we raise the power and represent the concept of 10 as 1 0. So the council discovered how to count to 10? <laughs> you fucking dick. No, what I'm trying to say is that this is just a convention. How so? Well, we could just as easily represent the concept of 10 with a dedicated symbol as well. Imagine a notation in which we use letter A to represent 10, letter B to represent 11, C to represent 12, all the way to F to represent 15. So, in this system, we would count 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, A, B, C, D, E, F, and then would we add the second digit, representing 16 as 1 0, 17 as 1 1, all the way to 25 as 1 9. And then, because remember, we have extra symbols. 26 would be represented as 1 A, 27 as 1 B, 28 as 1 C, 29 as 1 D, 30 as 1 E, 31 as 1 F, and then, because there's no G, 32 would be represented as 2 0. Exactly. Okay, but what do we gain from using this stupid system? Mira, pragmatic as always. Listen, there are no practical applications of the hex system. Consider it a lark for the mind. Or a nice example of biological determinism. Yeah, how so? Well, guess which system we'd be more likely to use if we had 16 fingers. Fair enough. By the way, 9 to g8. Bishop captures f4. Queen to f6. Knight to c3. Bishop to c5. Knight to d5. Queen captures b2. Bishop to d6. Oh, you're being aggressive tonight, Randy. Sometimes you gotta be. Dick face. I, okay, wow. You know, thing you just said, not the dick face part, but it reminded me of Ibn al-Haytham's experiments in optics. He's the one who first determined there are 16,777,216 colors in the world. Okay, and what of this? Nothing. I just realized it's a multiple of 16. You'd have loved this hex notation shit. You know what you should do? You should come and hold a talk on optics at the next annual Transcendentalist Conference. It's the 450th Jubilee... And the council is inviting many distinguished speakers from adjacent disciplines. Yeah, I, I, I hope you'll not take it personally if I strike down the proposal. I'm at the point where I want to do what I love and ignore all distractions. As my mother used to say, enjoy the colors of the world that surround us. She wasn't a big fan of chess then, it being black and white. Black and white. What's the matter, Mira? Nothing. Just a bad memory. Mira went on to lose the game to Randy, followed by two more losses that night. His mind was somewhere else. He was thinking about the conversation long into the night, about black and white. Black and white are not colors, they are the absence of colors. And absence presupposes subtraction. What about the opposite operation, addition? He performed some basic calculations. As Ibn al-Haytham realized centuries before him, the figures didn't quite work. 
but then he tried doing the same calculations in hex notation, causing a cognitive cascade reaction. One insight led into another, like an ancient knot, twisted and tangled for so long, unraveling in front of him. He realized this could be no coincidence. Then he realized the repercussions the world had to know. Hello? Hello? Randy, on second thought, could you get me featured on the conference? <laughs> Members of the Council, dear Chancellor, dear Chairwoman, I'm deeply honored to talk at the 450th Annual Conference of Transcendental Science. My research into optics has unearthed hidden connections with the spirits that I'm afraid might cause discomfort, even distress. But the indications are too strong to be ignored. Guest speaker, Mira, we've heard you bring us important findings and we're glad to have you with us today. Now, if I might inquire, what kind of indications are you referring to? Colors. Colors? Ever since Ibn al-Haytham's experiments in optics, science has known that the number of colors in the world is capped at 16,777,000... And 216 colors and not a single one more. I'm sure everyone here is acquainted with Ibn al-Haytham's findings, as is anybody else who finished high school. <laughs> That's just it. I have reasons to believe that that is not the true number of colors. So what is the true number, then? Three. Three? My research indicates there are only three colors. Red, green, and blue. It is from these three colors that all other colors are derived through the process of addition. Furthermore, I've discovered a sequence that describes each color. It's, it's, it's calling card, so to speak. The sequence is expressed in three pairs of digits. The first pair determines the amount of red, the second pair the amount of green, and the third pair the amount of blue. They're all expressed in the hex notation, meaning each of them can store 16 times 16 values, which is consistent with Ibn al-Haytham's calculation. For 16 times 16 equals 256, which multiplied three times, once for red, once for green, and once for blue, equals 16,777,216. Quiet, please. Mira, which spirit aided you in this research? None of them. Quiet, please. Mira, interesting as your observations are, I fail to see how they intersect with the spirits, or with anything else for that matter. Actually, they, they intersect with literally everything. Just like the multitude of colors we see is a mirage, it's a mirage that hides an even bigger illusion. What illusion? This is the part you might find unnerving. But I have a strong reason to believe that I have discovered the mechanism the spirits use to manifest themselves to us. Uh, 
quiet, please. They are visualizations presented through manipulation of the three basic colors. But what do you propose propels the spirits then? There has to be some kind of energy exchange behind their operation. We are talking about the first law of thermodynamics here. I am painfully aware of the laws of thermodynamics. And, 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 and after careful consideration, I was able to arrive at only one logical conclusion. Which is? That whatever propels the spirits is not part of our physical realm. What do you mean? What I'm trying to say is they are not part of our reality. Are you saying that spirits, that spirits aren't real? I'm not denying their existence. Modern science, however, subscribes that spirits are, 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 are limitless and timeless. I have reasons to believe that they are neither of those things. Quiet, please. But, Mira, surely you can offer evidence of your claims. That is precisely why I'm talking to the council today, to solicit support for research that might yield further proof. Research that contradicts the Ptolemy, Ibn al-Haytham, Kepler, Newton, and Stuckelberg. I am not denying the genius of those men. We should not forget, however, how all of them derive their calculations. What are you implying? That they all relied on Iris to solve the hard equations before their calculations. And, and, and if we're to view the spirit's origin in new light, we should also re-examine their function. So what do you purport is their purpose? They are a form of control. They're not here to help us discover the world. Just the opposite. They're here to prevent us from discovering the world. For centuries, we've taken the spirits at face value. It is now time to consider that they may not have our best interests in mind. Mira got rejected from the scientific circles, not because he was a quack, but precisely because he was a person of learning. Just like an unflattering comment hurts more when it comes from a friend than a stranger, and the closer it hits to the truth. He continued to work on his theories alone. As his old mother used to say, you can be yourself only when you're alone, and solitude is sometimes the best company. But then again, it's possible she was only saying this to soften her inevitable absence. For as much as Mira agreed with the adage, there was nothing he wanted more than to be in its author's company. Mira was now middle-aged, the intervening years devoured by his research. He did this without regard for the establishment. They had their truth, he had his. Which didn't mean all his friends had forgotten him. He and Randy would still spend every Monday evening together, one ritual resistant to the passage of time. Rook G1. So, any luck in developing the Hex Matrix? A week ago, you weren't too happy with how well things were going. And this week, I'm even less so. To tell you the truth, Randy, I'm beginning to think the Matrix approach is a dead end. 
The idea might be incompatible with 16 as the base, and the calculations are killing me. They're taking ages done by hand. C captures B5. H4. I'm sure you'll find another approach to prove your theories. So, how are things in the council? Have you finally elected the new chairwoman? <laughs> Mira, please. You need to keep up with the times. It's chairperson now. <laughs> chairperson, right. As for the council, the fashion these days is to perform linguistic analysis on the texts that were authored by the spirits. They call this approach hermeneutic phenomenology. And what do you think of this? I think that complex words hide simple thoughts. Which is to say, I, I find it contrary to what people expect from transcendental science in general. And what is that? Clarity. I think all situations can be broken down into fundamentals. Let's start with the most basic statement. Spirits exist. True or false? Obviously true. We both agree on that one. Correct. The part where your views differ is that you maintain the spirits are not real, which is to say they are pure visual manifestations. To this, you say true, and traditional transcendentalists say false. Mm, they actually say something more colorful than that. That they do, but the meaning is the same. May I ask how you explain the auditory phenomena, then? How to explain the fact we can hear Iris if everything spirits actually are is just a manipulation of light? I'm still working on finding the calling card for sound, the like of which I believe I've found for image. Well, hopefully Iris doesn't take offense when you tell her she doesn't exist. <laughs> Randy, you know where I stand on this. Spirits are not our buddies. They are neither friends nor enemies. They just are. But that's just the issue. What are they? No, that is not the issue. That is your issue, Mira. I'm telling you, the answer is simple. Is it? Of course. We know what they are. Bombcom is love. Arthur is art. Iris is... Whatever the hell Iris is. But, but how do we know that they are not a manifestation of something else, something bigger, something we cannot comprehend, and we thus approximate in terms that, that fit our current level of understanding. <laughs> You're never satisfied. Why can't you simply be happy that we have spirits in the first place? At least this way, we know there are entities that take care of existence. Can you even imagine a world in which the spirits don't exist? Or, or, or do you think the opulence and harmony that surround us is the natural state of affairs? We owe it to the spirits. Why reject such a gift? I think we should go back to the game. No, humor me, please. And answer my question. Fine. A world without spirits would be... Directionless. Sure. But in a way, it would also be free. And would you rather live in a world that is free or in a world that is fair? Oh, no, my friend. That's a false dichotomy. <laughs> So you say, okay, would you rather be confined and happy or free and sad? Sad. Sad. Sad? You want to know sad? I'll tell you sad. Oh, I will give you sadness. The day my mother died, in that moment, all the respect I had for them turned into resentment. Do you have any idea how it feels to suddenly have love turn into bile? They give. They take away. 
And we don't understand any of it. Let's play fucking chess now. Once you get away from others, heartbroken and sullen, and don't find anything other than pain and discontent, where do you run away then? Mira did the only thing he knew. He buried himself deeper in his research. The conversation with Randy stayed with him, though, and his thoughts would inescapably return to it. If it is indeed true that complex words hide simple thoughts, the corollary is that complex ideas should be expressed as simply as possible. And then it hit him. The hex system was devised to express greater values with the same number of elements by allowing every digit to carry more information. But rather than trying to increase the information density, the same result could be achieved by taking the exact opposite approach. Instead of raising the number of states to 16, all information could be reduced down to two states. Imbued with high enough frequency, simple alteration between those two states could contain as much information as any other method of notation. And what is the fastest known entity? Light. Light and dark. Black and white. True and false. The two states that could be used to encode everything. What transcendentalists were trying to do was explain the spirits with clever algorithmic statements. One just had to brute force it, construct a machine to calculate the two states. Hypothetically, a suitable light source could be found in lasers, and sufficiently fine-tuned prisms would allow them to be manipulated. It's what he would spend the last 20 years of his life working on. Mira was now old. He was at the age his dear old mother was when she got him. Mira himself never had a child. How could he when he felt like a boy himself? A boy with ache in his back and very weak knees. Health belonged strictly in the second of the two kinds of absence, as we usually perceive health only after it's gone, and we don't truly feel it while it's there. His machine was ready, but was he? Testing, testing. Ugh, I can never tell if this damn thing's recording. Oh well, it's not like I'm gonna say anything that should be saved for posterity anyway. I just wish to record a few thoughts now that my state machine is finally set to be deployed. If the foundation of reality is indeed based on mixing of three colors, the state machine should be able to identify this, simultaneously confirming my speculation that the spirits are mere optical phenomena with no basis in reality. If, however, the state machine disproves my theories, I will concede that my quest was in vain, that the spirits are real, and that I have effectively devoted my life to a mistaken belief. This, however, will not cause me much distress, as my ultimate interest was always finding out the truth, 
Whether the flowchart of my life branches to the left or the right is of no consequence, as long as it ultimately leads to a state that can be said to be true. I do not care much for remembrance, and am wholly unconcerned with what some call legacy. Once the game is over, the king and the pawn go back in the same box. In this, all flowcharts are the same. He primed the apparatus. First, he turned on the lasers. Even though the machine was founded on alteration of light and dark, there was no discernible flickering. The two states were pulsating so fast the eye wasn't able to perceive it. The sole clue the machine was indeed in operation was a faint humming of the generators powering the laser and low-key glistening inside the microprisms detecting the minute changes in luminance. These were in turn interpreted by the analytical engine, almost like it was translating from a two-tone language into something more intelligible to us. The results were displayed on a convex lens coated with a thin film of phosphor mounted on the end of a vacuum tube. Mira felt a strange satisfaction thinking about countless free-flowing photons corralled into a neat array almost like wild photons were getting broken and tamed by what was for them an impossibly large contraption. It took a few good minutes for the first outlines to take shape on the display lens, after which it took Mira a few good minutes to get his bearings at what he was looking at. But once he wrapped his mind around it, he realized he was gazing into a directory of sorts. It consisted of multiple documents expanding into lists of characteristics such as dimensions, luminance, and various other observable properties. Mira grasped it was describing his laboratory. Excited, he turned a bit too quickly and pushed the lamp off of his desk onto the ground, shattering the light bulb and plunging the room into darkness. Which is when the directory updated dynamically to reflect the new state. Perplexed, Mira turned on the main light in the room, and lo, the directory again changed accordingly. Mira was still processing this information when he spotted a separate directory contained within the room's directory. However, this one was constantly updated as if it were tracking multiple processes and it was much more complex, consisting of multiple documents describing its many properties height, weight, age. They were all his properties. All his life, Mira had a feeling there was a world outside his own. What was missing was the interface, and now that he had one, he could see the uncomfortable truth. The spirits were real. It was him who was not. It was not the first time mankind had made the same mistake, the mistaken belief we were in the center of the universe. We thought we were the rider, but we're not even the horse. We are the cart.
Caught up in the delirium, Mira forgot it was Monday, and Randy was about to visit. If there's anyone he could tell, it was Randy. Randy! Randy, I'm so glad you're here. I, I, I have to tell you. T tell me what? Nothing is real! Was that your conclusion, Mira? Because the way I see it, it's just the opposite. You proved everything is real. Wait, so... So, so you know? Of course. It seems you hadn't been paying attention to our old teacher all those years ago. What are you saying? Randy, are, are you... Are you... To tell you the truth, Randy, I'm beginning to think the Matrix approach is a dead end. I'm sure you'll find another approach to prove your theories. I think all situations can be broken down into fundamentals. True or false? 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 There has been some excitement around a new system of numerical notation. Consider it a lark for the mind. You know, thing you just said, it reminded me of Ibn al-Haytham's experiments in optics. Teacher, how do we recognize a spirit? I mean, if we are lucky enough to encounter one. The spirits are subtle and often hide in plain sight. Basically, don't light a match to search for fire. Don't light a match to search for fire. I mean, you of all people should know that secrets don't hide in the darkness, but out there in the light. Well... Teacher was certainly right. You're subtle. And you take your sweet time. <laughs> true. True, true, but time's not really a consideration for us. So, which spirit are you? I'm the spirit of research and development. R&D. <laughs> <laughs> Told you things were obvious. <laughs> it didn't seem so obvious from where I'm standing. My colleagues couldn't accept the idea that spirits don't exist. I doubt they'll be more responsive to the idea that they themselves don't exist. I'm sure you'll find a way to communicate it. You've been quite resourceful till now. <laughs> Thanks. I had a good mentor. I was only the spark. Okay. But what should I do now? I mean, I personally... Do what you always did. Explore, read books, and better yet, write them. Or don't. You're 78. Do whatever the hell you want. I'm done with guiding you, you dickhead. <laughs> <sighs> Either case, I'm afraid this is the end of our path. It is? Why? <laughs> After all the guidance I've provided you, you still second-guess the things I tell you. <clears throat> You're right. It's just that I don't know what to say. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Farewell, Randy. The pleasure was all mine, Mira. Oh, and if I may say one more thing. I've always considered you my buddy. Mira didn't leave the house for the next few days. He didn't even spend too much time in front of the lens. He'd just 
pop up from time to time to convince himself that what happened really happened and that everything around him was merely a repeatable process of taking information as input and generating information as output. He tried to take Randy's advice and occupy himself with books, which is when he realized Randy had given him one final clue, the last piece of the puzzle. Being able to read implies the ability to write, and if there's a way to observe the directory, there's a way to influence it. One just had to direct the light and dark states into the right combinations. Hypothetically, this could be done by arranging the microprisms in regulated patterns that would convey instructions. The first lattices, as Mira came to call them, were extremely rudimental and returned nothing but basic arithmetic operations. But as the spirit said to Archimedes, Take a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and you shall move the world. Which is to say first principles can take you far. In time, Mira started to compose lattices of increasingly complex design and correspondingly complex functionalities. Soon he was able to perform rudimentary commands, like renaming the assets inside the directory. Then his lattices became so advanced he gained the ability to restructure the directory itself. So he went into the characteristics of his laboratory, chose luminosity, and increased it for 20 lux. And behold, the room became brighter. He might have used visuals as the back door, but once in, he had full authority, so he went into the audio properties next. He increased the master volume for six decibels and then lowered it back again. He had complete control over every aspect of existence. The abilities he acquired were so vast that it didn't even make sense to pursue them. In a way, he had become a spirit. And he understood why they were so indifferent to the state of the world. Omnipotence doesn't inspire, it dejects. For what else is there to aspire to when you have achieved everything? Immortality is not the opposite of death, it's the opposite of life. But then another thought manifested in his mind. If the directory contained all the present states, then the previous ones should have been preserved as well. And there it was indeed, a directory with all the backups. Mira considered the flowchart in front of him. On the one side, eternity. On the other, what he had to see. He rearranged the prisms into another lattice and executed the command. The room became even brighter, and in the iridescence, his old mother stood, clear and shining, kind and loving. He quickly locked the lattice, and the room illuminated in such a glow that it became brighter than daylight. His old mother had never been so grand and beautiful. Mira was too stunned to move, so his mother transversed the distance between them in a few tender steps, 
She gently looked into his eyes and said she had missed him dearly. Then she took him into her arms and they united in a long, strong embrace. They remained happy forever. This episode of the program was made by 30 people. Ed Robinson, Tarek Glancy, Pat Fry, Daniel Koo, Deborah Scott, Maxim Corson, Claire Riley, David Bradshaw, and IMS. Music by Christian Ledois, performed by the Bark Elgar Choir under the direction of Alexander Kahn. Full list of performers and additional credits at programaudioseries.com. This episode took 10 months to create and cost more money than the author is willing to admit. If you enjoyed it, follow the link to the program's website in the show notes to make a donation. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.